They marveled at your signs, your wonders. They thought you had died, but you saved the world. A sign, power, divine authority. Expect a miracle. Believe for a miracle. Receive for a miracle. And be responsible to manage your miracle. Where miracles are, there certainly God is. So we were sitting in a board and finance meeting several months ago, and we were talking about the supernatural. We were talking about the miracles that were happening here. And one of our board members said, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of unusual. You know, it's not like you hear that in churches all the time. And, have, and, and he had been a part of a, a previous church, and so we never really talked about that. And he said, and so you've got to remember that not everybody's comfortable with miracles, and that thought never crossed my mind. I thought, it's kind of biblical. But then I realized not everybody who call themselves Christians are biblical. Now, 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 carefully listen to what I'm saying here. I didn't say they weren't Christians. I said they didn't, not every one of them is necessarily following what the Bible says is supposed to be happening in our world. And their faith expression is different. And that's not a criticism. It's just different. And then he, he went into this analogy on his house. He said, my house I've had on the market for a while, and, and I'm having trouble selling it, and I don't understand. And my realtor said, it's because you have horse property. And he said, what? He said, yeah, you have horse property. And he said, well, what's wrong with that? He said, you've got to remember, half the people don't want horse property. And he said, that thought never occurred to me. And then he looked at me and he said, Influence Church is horse property. Because not everybody wants miracles. It's a little uncomfortable to think that God is getting involved. Now, if, if the miracle happens to you, it's one thing. But if you're, if you're on the outside looking in thinking, well, is that real? Is that what's happening? Why doesn't it happen to me? And you think, what do I do with that? Some of the things in the Bible are so radical that it, it just sets you back. I'm going to talk about one of those radical verses today in, in the book of Matthew, chapter 17, where Jesus talks about faith as a mustard seed and moving a mountain. And that very analogy or that teaching is so radical because he ends that little section with, by saying, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Had he said some things won't be impossible to you. It would have been a little easier to take. But when he says nothing shall be impossible to you, it makes you wonder, did he just push it too far? Am I, if I, can I go there? Can I believe that? In my mind I say, I believe God can do all things, but the question is, is he doing those things? Is he doing those things today? Some people have created theologies to explain away the miraculous. They say, no longer does God work in the miraculous. Now that we have the Word, all we do is read the Word. And now we've become academics and intellectuals instead of supernatural beings who believe in the supernatural. 
See, I want to I wanna be living in a way that what happened in the first century is happening in this century. I want the same Jesus then uh, was in the first century as today. I want to see him walk among us and see the miracles and see the transformed lives and see the healings and see those things happen because that's the Bible I'm reading. And I don't see where God said, I'm not interested in that anymore. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what God said about himself. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20 says this. Oh, by the way, let me just parenthetically pause for something funny. So, I'm sorry, but I know you're, that, wasn't, that was just kind of the lead in, so we can always restart the engine. So we're talking about next Sunday night, and we're going to have, we've never had live animals in the church. Well, we've had student ministry overnight, but we've never had, no, I'm just kidding. But we've never had live animals in here, and so I'm thinking about the camel. I'm, I'm all into the camel. I don't know about you, but, you know, we're going to have a camel in the church. Now, it's a one-hump camel. Apparently, two humps are more expensive. So we went with the discount camel. So we're going to have this camel in there. We're all excited, and we're going to have a donkey, and we're going to have sheep, and they threw some llamas in. I don't know what, how the llamas fit in the nativity scene, but we're going to have some llamas. And then I look at the weather report, and it's supposed to rain. And I said, Tammy, I wonder what a wet camel smells like inside a church, Right? Well, we're going to find out. We thought all we had to do was, was just suffer the consequences of the other end of the camel, but apparently we're going to have a wet camel and some extras along the way. Anyway, back to the sermon. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20. You know what? i got to say one more thing. It's either going to be really cool or really corny. I, that's all I know. You know, these kind of things, they like they work or they don't work in a big way. Amen. And I was telling that somebody said, even if it doesn't work, it's going to be, you'll, no one will ever forget the wet camel in the church that got his head stuck in the cloud or something like that. I don't know. We'll see. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, if you have faith as a mustard seed. Notice what he says. He's not talking about the size of your faith. He's talking about the nature of your faith. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Now, we get so caught up with what we think it says that we think that our faith is smaller than a mustard seed. But that's not what he's referring to. He uses the word as here to help us to understand he's talking about the nature of our faith. The nature of our faith can be equated to the nature of a mustard seed. So let me give you the big picture of the context of what's happening here. In Beginning in verse 14, he says, And when they had come, that's the disciples, had come to the multitude, a man came up to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. Put yourself in that father's position. His son is not well. It says of his son have mercy on him, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. He often falls into the fire, often into the water. Now think about you as a father, and that's your son. That's your son or your daughter. And however old this child is, whether he's five or whether he's 15, the suffering of that father to see the best for his son. And it says that he went to the disciples, and they could not cure him. 
So all the hope that he had in going to these, these disciples, these apostles of Jesus, and, they said, and he said, heal my son, and they could not heal the boy. And so he turns and he goes to Jesus, and he tells him the story, and look how Jesus responds. Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. Now, if you're the disciples, you know who he's talking to. And he's anything but being PC here, isn't he? He's not politically correct on any level if we think about it. And he says, how long shall I be with you? You see, Jesus was saying, I have you on earth to do what I do. How long do I have to be with you? When are you going to take over the job? And the question he asked you and I, when are we going to take over the job that he commissioned us to do? to bring people to faith in Christ, to lay our hands on the sick and they are made well. How, when are we going to pick up that mantle is the question he brought, he brings to our attention. And it says, how long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And he brought, they brought the boy and Jesus, it says, rebuked the demon. It came out of him and the child was cured that very hour. Now the disciples came to him privately saying, why could we not cast it out? Now, after a public rebuke like that, you can see why they came at night. Hey, Jesus, can we just get you on the side here? Can you tell us what we did wrong? You know, every time I read that passage, I ask myself, God, I don't want to miss out on what you want me to do because I've had too many of those comments in my life. God, what did I do wrong? Why were they not healed? What was going on there? And I, and, and, and I know it's ultimately not about me. It's about Jesus. But I don't want to get in the way of what Jesus wants to do. That's my only concern. It's not this sense that I should be able to do that. It's a sense that you commissioned me to do it. You told me to do it. God, I don't want to get in the way of that. And Jesus tells him this. He says, because of your unbelief, there are times when people are praying, and I know what they're praying about, and my faith is not really high in that situation. And what I do is I don't enter into that prayer circle. Because I don't want to bring the level of faith down in that circle of prayer. There are other times when I sense that I really have a lot of faith and people are praying. We'll see this happen after church all the time. You'll see little huddles of people praying for someone's healing or some miracle that they need in their life. And I'll feel like I'm really empowered in faith in that moment and I'll enter into that circle because I know that I can contribute on that level or above that level of my faith. You see, it's really interesting because we can be drained of faith. You can, you can, you can be lower on faith sometimes in your life, and, and you, don't, you don't even know how to get out of that. And I think the way to get out of that is just to go back into the presence. God, I want to go back into the presence of you. I, want, I, want, I just want to focus on you and not the problem. So he says to them, because of your unbelief, and then he tells us something else. He says, Assuredly, I say unto you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and by fasting. So he said, all right, the three elements we see there is unbelief, prayer, and then fasting. So he's teaching up something about the kingdom. There are some moments in your life where faith will do it. There are some moments where faith and prayer will do it, and there are some moments where you need faith all three elements, including fasting, in that situation. Now, the timing of God is God's timing. I don't really understand how he works in his timing. 
Sometimes he seems to answer right away. Sometimes it seems to be later. But through all of it, I'm just going to keep trusting God. Amen? When you don't know what to do, just say, I trust you, God. Can you say that with me? I trust you, God. Because those are the only words sometimes you have. You say, well, what if I don't even believe that? Say it anyway. Say it anyway. Because your spirit man will respond to what you're saying with your voice, I trust you, God. You may not like the situation. You may not understand the turn of events you're in. Just keep repeating, I'm going to trust you because, God, you're a good God. You see, the greatest thing that happened that was a setback in that situation was the father and the boy didn't see the goodness of God. That was the most tragic thing. Because the father came expecting that God was going to do something, and he didn't. And somehow they missed, he missed out on the goodness of God. Do you know that the reason God does miracles in our life is to demonstrate his goodness to you, that God is good? What do you do when you have a setback and a disappointment and your prayer is unanswered? You acknowledge the goodness of God. God, I do not understand what you're doing, but one day the Bible says we will know as we have been known. You know what that means? One day you're going to have clarity. One day you're going to be able to look, and and from from an eternal perspective, you're going to say, now, God, I see how all the pieces came together. All I could see was what didn't happen, but now I see what did happen, and I understand fully because we will see and we will know as we have been known. Until that moment, what do we do? I will trust you, God. Amen? I will trust you, God. So let me ask you something. What's the impossible in your life? Your life. We've talked about the, the, the miracle in the month uh, of the month. We talk about what we're trusting God for as a church in terms of just, uh, just your response and, and what we want to see God do. But let me ask you personally, what do you want to see God do in your life? Do you have an idea? Could you narrow it down to one thing and say, if I could see God do this one thing in my life in the month of December, what would it be? And you ought to write it down or, or just type it into your phone and say, that's the one thing that I'm going to trust God for, believe God for. That would be the greatest Christmas miracle I could have. And then I'm going to show you a little later in the message a formula and how you can take that and bring that before God and cultivate the faith necessary to see that happen. So let's talk about the nature of the seed. You know, it's amazing. If I buy a little package of seeds, uh, I can leave them in that package and there's no life until they're in the right environment. But I'll rip open the top. I'll take them, I'll plant them in ground, and I'll water them, and they'll get the right temperature, and everything will be right, and they will begin to germinate and bring forth life. Now, when I was a kid, I had an experiment. I don't remember how old I was, fourth or fifth grade, and we had an experiment where we had to take coffee cans, and we were going to plant beans. And I had to plant one bean at one inch from the bottom, two inches, three inches, four inches, and the idea was each day I would measure and see how much they grew. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I got curious about the, some of those beans that were deep in the soil, and I got a spoon because I wanted to make sure they were actually doing what they were supposed to do. And that one that was the furthest down was the most mysterious to me, so I got down there and I dug him up, and he wasn't doing anything. He was just sitting there, and I thought, well, that's not a very good bean. And I put the soil back, and a couple days would go by, and I got to check on that bean, and I got in there, and there was a little bitty growth on that bean. Right? And I'd plant it back down, and then I'd get, I kept digging it up until finally I killed that bean. It wasn't going to give me anything. 
You see, the whole idea of the experiment was that that the deeper they are, they have more resistance to climb, and, and it's going to be harder for them to germinate and, and reach the surface. You know, and the ones that were closer to the top, they, they would spring out almost instantly. You see, the deep things that you're trusting God for, they don't come as quick sometimes as you imagine. But if you take a spoon and dig them up, you're going to disrupt the faith. You're going to disrupt the environment that God wants them to be in, and they're not going to germinate. They're not going to cultivate. They're not going to bring forth fruit the way you want them to. You remember when you were a kid and you had a scab? Every kid loves a scab. Right? Because what do you do? You pick the scab, and your mom says, quit picking that scab. It'll never heal. It's going to get infected, and your arm's going to fall off. I mean, that was my mom's. The final thing was your arm will fall off. And the moment she turned her back, what did I do? I got to pick at that scab. You see, there's some things you're picking at in your faith journey that are preventing the healing or preventing the, the fullness of what God wants to do. Let God be God. You do your stuff. Let God do his stuff. Let God work the way that God works best. Amen? So there's life in the seed. You know what he's telling us here? You know what faith as a mustard seed kind of faith is? The mustard seed has unstaggering potential. It's not, it's not set back by its environment. It finds a way to thrive in every situation. The, the mustard seed, interestingly enough, is one that does, cannot be mutated. They've exposed it to high levels of radiation. It does not affect it. You see, your pure faith is not affected by high levels of radiation being bombarded against it. It's not going to be mutated. Your faith in God is a pure faith in God. And it's not about the size. It's about the nature of the seed. It's about the nature of your faith. And so what we, we find out is mustard seed faith will uproot anything and it will remove obstacles. You see, love is encased in a seed. You realize that God gave seed to the sower so it would bring forth some 20-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Amen? You see, and that's gift. That's a gift. And so it's, it's love. When you see that, there's love that's in, just encased in all that. And the love that really is, those little, that little mustard seed kind of faith, you know what that is? That's the promises of God. Now, do you know that I, I found out there's more than 7,000 promises of God in the Bible? You know how I know that? Google. Google told me there are more than 7,000 promises. And I thought, I've got to figure out what some of these are. And they're categorized. If you just type in. You don't have to read your Bible from cover to cover and circle them. You can use Google. God honors that, amen? All right. So you, you put in there, what's the need you have, the promise you want to see God? You'll say it's, it's healing. Let's say it's prosperity. Let's say it's something else. And you type that in, all the promises of God that deal with that subject. And let's say there's 50 promises. Take those 50 promises and print them out. And I'm going to show you what to do with those, okay, in just a moment. So hold on to that thought. You're going to print those out. Now you see the promises of God are there for you, okay? Now hold that thought. Let's keep moving. The power of the seed. In Matthew 17, 20, he said, if you have faith, what? Say it out loud. As a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain. Now come on, Jesus. Are you kidding me? I'm going to say to a mountain in front of me, I see Big Bear, I'm going to say to that mountain, be picked up and moved into the sea, and it's going to obey me. That doesn't even make sense. Oh, but maybe there's more to this story than meets the eye. 
Let's go on. You say, well, isn't that an analogy? Well, we'll find out. Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible. Let me take you to Matthew 21, 21. Jesus replied and said, listen to this truth. Are you listening? He says, I'm going to give you truth. Are you listening? Yes, okay. Look what he says. If you have no doubt of God's power and speak out of face fullness, you can say to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will be done. Everything you pray for with the fullness of faith you will receive. Are you listening? This is the truth. All right. Now, let's find out historically what was happening. Whenever Jesus taught, he tried to, to, to teach in such a way and illustrate in such a way that they would relate to it. So he's got his disciples, and he says, you see that mountain? I want to tell you a story about the mountain. It would already be in their mind. In 63 B.C., there was a Roman general by the name of Pompey. And Pompey had been commissioned to build the harbors in the Mediterranean, the Dead Sea, and the Sea of Galilee. And the problem was that the Senate was holding up all the labors that he needed for the job. So he had, for two years, the Senate had refused to even hear his request for the laborers to move the stones to build the harbor. So let's just start here with a mountain. It looked like a mountain. Thank you. All right. So here's this mountain here, and, and down in here, let's say this is the Mediterranean here, and you know what a harbor is? A harbor is for what? Safety. Right? Where you put your boat, it's going to be safe. Because if you leave it out to sea, it's going to be damaged. Now, keep the analogy going here. So in 63, Pompey makes this repeal, and it's just met with deaf ears. Well, he seemed to have an engineer. His associate with him was a guy by the name of Albanus Gaius. And he was not only a great engineer, but he was an amateur botanist. And so he began to notice that the mustard tree seemed to thrive in places where it should not thrive. It seemed to, to be hardy and strong, but it, th it would thrive in those, those mountainous regions where there was a lot of limestone. So he took these, these mustard seeds and he began to plant them in these the limestone mountains. And as these trees would begin to grow, they would literally suck the limestone out of the mountain. And as they did, they would disrupt the natural structure of the mountain. And guess what started happening? These large boulders began to fall down to the bottom of the mountain. Where the, his men were then, the men that he had, could then take them. They don't have to quarry them anymore. They would take those large stones and they would, are you ready for this? Cast them into the sea. He wasn't talking about looking at Big Bear and having it move into the Pacific. He was talking about the kind of faith that disrupts boulder by boulder the things that are in your life, the obstacles that are in your life, and you can't see a way through. He says when you have faith as a mustard seed, you're going to do the same thing. Now, what's really interesting is these little trees up here, that look like a tree? I need affirmation. I'm an only child. All right, thank you. It looks like a tree. What would happen is when they would suck up all the limestone in that area, they would lose their grip on the mountain and they would fall down to the sea as well. You see, because here's another analogy. When you, when you put your, your faith in the wrong environment, the root system won't hold and you begin to say things like this, I don't know if God still works miracles. You start to lose your faith in God, and you don't see what God's up to. 
Listen, when you're in the right environment, you're disrupting boulders all around you. Well, the stones were collected. The laborers picked them up. They began to build the harbors, and the harbor would then protect the ship. Guess what? That which you disrupts that meets the need in your life will become your protection. Are you with me on this? See, when you see God work, you know what that does? It protects your faith. That's why you make record of all the things that God is doing. You don't forget what's God doing. You write them down, and you go back, because there are going to come times in your life where you're going through a test, and you don't think God's working in your life. He is. You just don't see it. You want to go back and see, see the testimonies of the past or the prophecies of the future. The testimonies of the past are the prophecies of the future. When you begin to see what God's doing and you say, God did that then, he can do this now, you are prophetically speaking about what you want to see God do it and what God will do in your life. Amen? The promise of the seed. Nothing will be impossible to you. You see, we say the miracle's in the house. Do you realize that in this house, you, 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 all of you, you're a miracle. You're a miracle designed for this house. When you use your, your gifts, your talents, when you, when you make yourself available with your time, your resources, and all those other things, you are a miracle in this house. And God has brought you together, all of us together, for a reason. Because we're something we can do. There's something we can contribute back. You say, well, I don't really know what I can do. Not yet you don't. Sometimes you don't know until you just try a few things and say, well, that ain't it. Right? And when you find it's not it, you know that I'm just going to go over here. Maybe it's this. And maybe it's this. And all of a sudden you begin to find limestone. And you begin to thrive, and all of a sudden you begin to see miracles and favor happening in your life. And you go, how did that happen? Because you're the miracle in the house. The miracle has to be put in the right environment. It has to be thriving. It has to be doing all the right stuff because you're going to begin to see God do some amazing things in your life. you got to watch out for the wrong environment. You know the wrong environment is? is when I let stuff get in my life that doesn't belong there. Any ever, ever had bitterness in your heart? Hard to be faith faith-filled and, and, and loving God and doing what's right when you got bitterness. How about unforgiveness? Ever just been unforgiven? Just don't want to forgive somebody? Just mad at them? It's not, doing, it's not doing them any harm. All it's doing is hurting your faith. If right now God brings to your mind somebody you've not forgiven, just ask God to forgive, forgive that person right now. Just say, God, I forgive them right now. You say, but they hurt me. So what? You've hurt people. Forgive them. Because, you see, you don't want anything to stop the flow of faith in your life. How about, uh, how about just walking with a critical spirit? Always finding something wrong. Oh, it's, something, oh, it's always wrong. Always wrong. You see, you, God can't work if you've got a critical spirit. How about a lack of the presence of God? You just don't walk in the presence of God. You, you, you're not aware of the environment around you and you just you're you're communicating the environment of earth to people and you wonder why things aren't changing for you it's because you're just you're, you're supposed to do heaven to earth you know the word apostle was a word that was used before the christian era it was actually someone who was sent with a message and the roman generals were actually called apostles and their job was to go into new regions where that the Roman Empire had not yet established itself. And their job, watch this, was to establish the culture of Rome in that new region. So that by the time they were done, you would feel like you were in a mini Rome. 
Jesus was an apostle sent from God from heaven to earth to bring the culture of heaven to earth so that everywhere he went, you felt like you were in the environment of heaven. Guess what? He's called you to go out and do the same thing. So what we do is we go and we bring the the environment and the culture of heaven to earth. So you say, well, what's in heaven? Well, goodness and joy and happiness and love and healing. And although that's what we're supposed to bring, amen? All right? And so what, what happens if we're not living in that? What are we communicating? The culture of earth. What's the culture of earth? Oh, God doesn't work. Right? Negative. You see? I want to bring the culture of heaven, amen? Amen. I just want to be able to look at people and say, you know what? I just believe God heals. Let's just pray right now. Right now. That's what God wants to do in your life and through your life. All right, let me show you how how this whole promise works. Okay, so now we're back to Google. God's a great gift for people who can't find things in the Bible. Amen? All right. Sometimes people will say, where's that verse at? And I go, I don't know, but I can tell you in just a minute because I've got a good friend that knows. His name is Google. And I'll find that verse. All right, so now you've got your promises. You print them out. You've got, let's say there's 50 scriptures on the subject you want. You print them out, and here's what you do. Here's 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 the process. You locate, this is how you cultivate a promise. You locate a promise of God in scripture. You print it out, and you begin to read through all of those promises. If you, if you really pay attention to what I'm telling you here, this really is an answer to prayer. Now, some of you say, I'll never forget this. You'll forget it in 30 seconds. Okay, now what? Okay, so here's what you do. You locate the promise of God in Scripture. The next thing you do is you read and you pray and you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you from one of those promises. See, not all those promises are for you, but one is. And as you're reading it, you're saying, Holy Spirit, will you show me which promise is for me? And you'll find like that one just kind of jumps out of the page and you'll go, wow, that's it. Highlight that one because now God has given you a word from his word. Are you with me on this? Now you take that promise and you begin to pray over it, thank God for it, and then what do you do? You say, I'm going to keep that promise in the right environment. I'm not going to be like the bean and dig it up. Leave it alone. That's a promise. I trust God. I trust you, God, for that promise. It's cultivating. It's germinating. It's bringing forth life. It's coming. It's coming. I don't know when it's coming, God, but I'm, I'm seeing it coming right now. I'm believing you, God, for the promise that you made me. And you just pray and believe it daily. You print that out. You put it in your car. You put it on your mirror. You say, that's my promise, God. You made me that promise. Amen? You see, you got to keep it in the right environment. You know, my wife... Uh, loves to come down early in the morning and open up the doors of our house and get fresh air in, she says. The problem is it's 50-degree air right now. Amen? And, I, and then she'll go back up to her little prayer room where it's 70 degrees. And I come walking down, and my, my office is downstairs where the fresh air is supposed to be coming in. You know, I've never put that analogy together. I wonder if the fresh air and me have a connection. Maybe you're trying to freshen me up a little bit. But anyway, so I come down there. So now I've gone from, you know, let's say 70 degrees upstairs. I come into the 50 degree. I am aware of the environment has changed, right? And I do what every good guy would do who pays the utility bill. I shut the doors because I'm going to get the environment back to where it was. You see, in your Christian walk, Sometimes you'll walk into another environment and you instantly know that's a different environment. 
Marshall Fields is a department store that first pioneered the idea of putting a perfume into the furnace system. So when you walk into Marshall Fields, you would associate this wonderful smell with buying. They were smart enough to know that your nose and your brain work together for a good feeling. You see, when you walk into the presence of God, you know it. When you, when you don't feel his presence, you know it. You have to shut some doors to get the presence back. Are you with me? There's some things you've got to shut. I've got to shut out forgive, unforgiveness. I, that's keeping the, the presence away. I've got to shut out bitterness. That's keeping the presence away. I've got to shut out doubt. That's keeping the presence away. Because I'm going to be in the right environment. If I want to see these promises come, they're going to come that way. Now I want to read you a, a passage of Scripture in closing from 2 Peter. I want you to stand with me. This is such a powerful verse. This is actually taken from the Passion Version. And I want you to think about this is a promise. This is a promise that God has given to you. Okay? I want you to say this with me. This is my promise. You know why? Because you're a child of God. If you're not a child of God, there's another promise. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a promise for you. You just have to call on the name of the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. There's a promise of God. Well, let's look at this one. He says, everything we could ever need for life and complete devotion to God has already been deposited in us by his divine power. And here's the promise. Everything you need for life and to live a godly life is already in you. That's the Holy Spirit. You have everything you need. Well, I need this. No, you don't. You have the Holy Spirit. You have to release the Holy Spirit with his promises. See, a lot of people are praying for stuff you already have. That's like me, you know, praying for a microphone. God, I just want a microphone. And he says, look down. He says, well, that's corny. It is. But guess what? It's also corny for you to have all the promises of God and ignore them when they're right in front of you. Now watch this. I love this scripture. This is so good. For all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him, okay, lavished. Now, when was the last time you heard anybody use that word, lavish? I, I don't ever hear anybody say, lavish. So I went to, to the coffee shop and I was lavished with coffee. Nobody ever uses that. I don't even know what lavish is, but I, I, for me, here's kind of the hillbilly version of what that is. That's to get a hose and hose somebody down. That's lavished. Sprinkling, I get that. I don't want to be sprinkled. I want to be hosed down with the presence of Almighty God. Amen? Right? Okay, so now we're lavished, all right? Lavished. You didn't know you're gonna. this was going to be a, a class in, in literary content, did you? Okay, like that. Hose them down. With the rich experience of knowing Him who has called us by name. He doesn't just say, I love the world. He says, I love you. This promise is for you and you and you and you and you. You can just put your name in there. You can read this first, put your name in there. You just imagine how this goes. Who has knowing him who is who is called Phil and invited us to come in to him. And I like this next part. Through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. What was it that the, the father and the son missed out because the disciples couldn't heal the boy? The goodness of the father. You see, 
God doesn't do miracles for miracles' sakes. He does miracles in our life. He works in our life. He shows favor to us so we understand his goodness. Let's enter into the goodness of God. God is good. God is good. And it says, the glorious manifestation so of his goodness. God manifests, that is, it makes it visible, all of his glorious goodness. When you acknowledge the goodness of God, even when you don't see good in your life, you bring his presence, you bring the right environment, the seed grows, the promises come to pass. Isn't that good? Huh? I think it's good. Amen. This is a good word. This is right from the word. This is a good word for you and for me and for all of us. Amen. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to close by singing a song. As we sing this, I want you just to take that one promise. Remember, what's the one miracle you said? If I could have that miracle happen, that's what I want to see, God. I I want you just, as we sing this last chorus, I want you just to shout that out to the Lord. God, I just see that goodness. I see that happening. I see that in my life. Amen. You got the assignment? All right, let's sing.